I am uh, absolutely delighted to be with you uh, here again at uh, Calvary. And uh, if you want to follow the sermon outline, you may want to uh, pull out this uh, outline in your bulletin, and there are several blanks that you need to fill out as we keep moving. That last uh, song that we sang, His Name is Wonderful, a few months ago I was uh, reflecting on the words of that uh, song, and there was one sentence that kind of uh, literally leapt out of the page, and it hit me. And uh, that phrase is the phrase, Almighty God is He. And it's referring to the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ is the Lord God Almighty. The Lord Jesus is the second member of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The God of the Bible is a trinity, the triune God, and uh, one in three and three in one, co-equal and co-eternal. And whenever we think of the trinity, there are four words that come to our mind. The first is uh, mystery. There is the element of mystery when we think of the trinity. Our limited, finite, fallen human minds cannot fathom the doctrine of the trinity. In fact, uh, as one person said, if we try to figure out the trinity, uh, we are going to go out of our mind. And uh, the doctrine of the trinity is given to us by divine revelation. Only the Holy Spirit can impart that knowledge to us. So whenever you think in terms of the Trinity, you've got to think mystery. But the second word I want to give you in terms of uh, the Trinity is marvel. We marvel at the triune God. And uh, we can only bow down in worship. We can only love and adore the triune God. We don't try to dissect. We don't try to analyze we simply fall down in worship, marvel. The third word that uh, comes to our mind when we think of uh, the doctrine of the Trinity is misunderstanding and confusion. If you take the Muslims, they will literally tell you and me that uh, we are guilty of worshipping three gods. And uh, they have got it all wrong. We don't worship three gods. We worship one God who has... Uh, uh, revealed himself uh, in three persons. Or if you take Hinduism, uh, you'll be surprised to know that in uh, Hinduism there is a trinity. You have uh, Brahman, the creator, you have Vishnu, the preserver, and you have Shiva, the regenerator. And so in Hinduism there is a trinity. And uh, that could be confusing as we try to focus on the trinity in the Bible. But when we think of the trinity there is a fourth word that comes into play, and that's the word majesty. Majesty. Uh, we think of God as being awesome and great, and uh, we uh, think of him in terms of majesty. Almighty God is he, the Lord Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, he stepped out of eternity into time. He became a baby. He lived among us. He died. In fact, the Bible says that the Lord Jesus came and pitched his tent among us. Amazing, isn't it? Uh, summertime, many of you would have gone camping. 
and one of the thrills of camping is to put up your tent and to live in that tent outdoors for several days. And the Lord Jesus lived outdoors for 33 years. He left heaven and came to earth. He is God incarnate. So when we think of the Lord Jesus as being the Lord God Almighty, the, the, the first truth, and this is where you need to start filling your blanks, uh, the first truth that uh, we need to think about is impact and influence. Impact and influence. Amazing, isn't it? The impact and influence of a single life. 2,000 years ago, the Lord Jesus came and lived in an obscure uh, village, Bethlehem, Nazareth. Uh, he uh, lived in a territory that was very limited. And of the 33 years, 30 years were lived in obscurity. And he had only three years of active public life. But those short 33 years, what an amazing impact it has had on history. And for the past 2,000 years, the name of the Lord Jesus has been proclaimed far and wide. And today there are at least 2 billion people on the face of earth who acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord God Almighty. They cherish his name. They love and adore him. And uh, wherever the name of the Lord Jesus has been proclaimed, amazing changes have taken place. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, everything has become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says. So what is the impact, influence and change that the Lord Jesus brings? For one thing, our ignorance and superstition is replaced by the knowledge of the true and the living God. The darkness of our sin is dispelled by the light of his holiness. And the hatred that we have in our heart is replaced by love. For the first time perhaps in our life that we can really start loving people the way that God loves people. And then we are given a, a quality of life that was totally foreign to us. Eternal life. Eternal life is the very life of God. We don't possess it because we are sinners. But when the Lord Jesus steps into our life, we receive the very life of God. We have the very quality of the life of God in us, enabling us to live very differently and radically. I remember going to a village once, a very large village, uh, which was full of superstition. The gypsies lived there. They were idol worshippers, poor quality of life. And then a man of God went and lived among them. And over the years, he began uh, to live the Christ life before them. He began to introduce them to the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus. And one by one, these dear people began to trust Christ for personal salvation. And when I went to visit that village, amazing changes. The quality of life had changed. And the impact was so evident and so powerful that other villagers were now inquiring as to what brought about the change in this village. And that's just a little true story of what happens when the Lord Jesus uh, is introduced uh, to people. Even as I speak, I'm told that every day, 50,000 people embrace the Lord Jesus to be their personal Lord and Savior in Africa. 
Think of that. 50,000 before this day is out who would have come to trust Christ for salvation in Africa. And I'm also told that every day, 100,000 people all across the world come to know Christ in a personal way. Now, you don't seem all that excited and none of you shouted, praise the Lord, hallelujah. So perhaps the missions conference October 17th to 21st will change you around. But I get excited at statistics like that, isn't it? And uh, in your heart, don't you wish that this would happen in Canada and uh, in the States? We are told that less than 18% of the Canadian population on any given Sunday would go to a place of worship. Folks, we are in bad shape. And that's why we need to uh, make the name of the Lord Jesus Christ known so that the impact and influence of his life will infiltrate the hearts and minds of people and they would gladly come uh, to acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord God Almighty. South Korea, which is predominantly a Buddhist nation, over the years, because of the influence and impact of the Lord Jesus, has changed. And more and more people are becoming Christians in South Korea. The largest church anywhere in the world today is in South Korea. BBC reported recently that Mongolia is fast becoming a Christian nation. Amazing. What is happening in the world as the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is being proclaimed? Impact and influence the name of the Lord. But then, uh, and also, as we think in terms of impact and influence, there is a new world coming. One day when the Lord Jesus comes to establish his kingdom here on earth, we are going to have conditions that were there before Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. Wouldn't you love to have those conditions again? It's coming. A new world is coming. There is hope in the name of the Lord Jesus. And what a message we have to proclaim to the people of the world. But then, the, your second main point in your notes, the identity of this God. When we say the Lord God Almighty, whom are we referring to? The identity of this God. And I want to give you ten truths concerning the person of the Lord Jesus. I would actually plead with you to write this down. You could use this as a gospel presentation when you are seeking to communicate Christ to people. You can do your own very creative uh, graphics on, a, on the computer and use it as a gospel tract. Christmas is coming. You can write these 10 things on the Christmas card rather than just saying, uh, uh, wish you a very blessed Christmas and uh, don't forget to send me a gift. I mean... Uh, Instead of writing all those kind of stuff, you just write these ten truths and trust the Holy Spirit to work in the hearts of the people who receive those cards. So here we go. Number one, the identity of the Lord God Almighty. He is the supreme God. He is the supreme God. There is no other God apart from the Lord Jesus. He is unique and he is incomparable. The Lord Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can ever come anywhere close to God the Father apart from me. The Lord Jesus claimed to be the first and the last. He claimed to be Alpha and Omega. Who can compare with him? He is far above all. He is the highly exalted one. And the Bible tells us that there is coming a day when every knee will bow before him 
and every tongue will confess that he alone is the Lord God Almighty. And so, he is the supreme God. He is God of very God, as the Nicene Creed puts it. But he is not only the supreme God, secondly, he is the sovereign God. He is the sovereign God. Sovereign simply means he's in charge. <laughs> he's in charge. He's in control. He's on the throne. And he will never vacate his throne. And uh, when we think of sovereign, we think of power. We think of authority. All authority is given to him, the Lord Jesus. He is the God of awesome power. Power over what? He has power over nature. When the Lord Jesus was here on earth, the Bible tells us that he walked on water. And on one occasion, there was a storm at the sea. And the Lord Jesus uh, looked at those boisterous waves and he said, shut up, be muzzled. And in a moment of time, there was a perfect calm. He, is, uh, he has power over nature. He has power over the demonic world. At the name of Jesus, every demon will flee. The de demonic world is real, folks. We have the devil. We have uh, a well-organized army. And uh, uh, the devil is the enemy of God, the enemy of the church, your enemy, my enemy. And the devil, the Bible tells us, is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I know this is a frightening thought, but right now, the devil is looking at us and seeing, saying to himself, huh, wonder whom I, can I have today for my uh, lunch at Calvary Baptist Church. Sobering thought, isn't it? But at the name of Jesus, every demon will flee. The Bible tells us, resist the devil and he will flee from you. He has power, the Lord Jesus has power over the demonic world. The Lord Jesus has power over disease, over sickness. The gospel accounts tell us that uh, people with all kinds of illnesses were brought to the Lord Jesus. And I love the next phrase. He healed them all. No one was excluded. No disease takes the Lord Jesus by surprise. He is the great physician, the healer of all our diseases. He has power over disease. And praise God, he has power over death. When the Lord Jesus died on the cross and when he rose again victoriously the third day, he conquered the grave. He defeated death. There is a dear lady that I know who is very gifted in writing poetry. So she wrote this uh, poem on death and uh, she sent it to me and said, please critique this poem. And as I read through that poem, it was uh, very gloomy and very depressive because she gave a very... Uh, uh, descriptive uh, description of uh, death. So I wrote back to her and I said, look, why don't you introduce the one who defeated death, the Lord Jesus Christ, and I gave her a few uh, pointers. And so she rewrote the whole poem and now there was hope. And I asked her to title the poem The Death of Death. <laughs> the Death of Death. Well, you don't seem to be excited, but the reality is... <laughs> All of you are going to die. I am going to die. Every time I go to a funeral, the first thing I say to myself is, one day I'm going to be in that box. Wonder who will sh uh, show up to see me. <laughs> and uh, it's a grim reality. You know, uh, every fu funeral I say is for me and for you. 
because we are reminded of mortality. We are creatures of dust. We are one day closer to the grave, young or old. And we need to know, beloved, what lies at the end of the road, what lies beyond the grave. And praise God, the Lord Jesus Christ has defeated death. And again, what a message we have to proclaim to the people of the world. I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Because I live, you shall live also, John 14, 19. Power over death. And then power over destiny. The destiny of history is in his hands. And one day he is going to come and establish his uh, kingdom here on earth. The lion and the lamb are going to lie side by side. A child is going to put its hand into the hole of a cobra and there will be no harm. There's going to be utopia here on earth. The longing of every human heart is that utopia here on earth. And that day is coming because of the Lord Jesus Christ. And your destiny and my destiny is in his hands. Isn't that amazing? That when you turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, he has a wonderful destiny for your personal life. Last Friday, I was doing my prison visitation and I visited this guy. It was my second visit to him, charged with first-degree murder, uh, 21 years old, and uh, no one comes and visits him, no communication with his parents, smart guy. And uh, he looked at me and he said, uh, you know, I thought I was a strong guy. And uh, I'm not ashamed to tell you that in the night, when all the lights go off, I go to a corner of my cell, and I weep uncontrollably. And I say to myself, this is the end. There is no hope for me. There is no future for me. And I'm not even responsible for the crime that was committed. My car was used, yes, but I was nowhere near the scene of that crime. What's there for me? And I had the joy of presenting to him the Lord Jesus Christ. The one who can turn your destiny around. The one who can take you out of the ash heap and uh, make a wonderful uh, blessing out of your life. And today, if you are thinking, where is my life headed? No meaning, no purpose. You surrender to Christ and watch what he's going to do with your life. Never forget the uh, day in December 1973 when I turned my life over to the Lord Jesus Christ, seated on a bench overlooking the Indian Ocean, and my life was a mess. No meaning, no purpose, emptiness, loneliness. And when I let the Lord Jesus come into my life, everything changed, beloved. Everything changed. And that can happen to you. And there are some of you seated here this morning who have never turned their life over to the Lord Jesus. There are young people seated here who are bored with their life. You know, I do a lot of work with young people. How goes life? Oh, boring. <laughs> I mean, they've got a wonderful meal in front of them. How goes life? Boring. I love to watch teenagers. They open the fridge. It's full of food. They close the fridge and they go and order pizza. <laughs> I mean, where do you find more crazy people than that? And I love them. And I love them. I love to be with them. I get part of their craze rubbing on to me. I do the same thing now. Open the fridge, see all the food, close it and order food from outside. <laughs> crazy world. But young people... Why don't you commit your life to the Lord Jesus Christ? Let him be the Lord and Savior of your life and watch how, we'll, how he will change the destiny of your life. Don't waste your life. Don't waste your time. 
Surrender to the Lord Jesus. He is the sovereign God. He is on the throne of the universe. But also let him be on the throne of your life. And then, number three, he is the savior God. He is the savior God. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. You are going to hear that verse many times over this Christmas season. John 4, 42, the Lord Jesus is referred to as the savior of the world. He is the universal savior. And that's why your beloved pastor, Rick, is right now in India. I told the congregation in the earlier service, I wish I could have gone with him. Sneaked in with him to India. What a place to minister one billion people. <laughs> Meet so many pagans, right? You have a lot of pagans here too. And not in the church, outside, right? <laughs> so uh, I want to make sure I get invited back again. So got to be politically correct. The Apostle Paul said, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the chief. You know, only the Lord Jesus can rescue from the watery grave called sin. You can't save yourself. I can't save myself. No self-help program would help you. You can't lift yourself up by your own bootstraps. You need the Savior. You need outside help. You know, if you are drowning, what good would it do if somebody comes and throws you a book that says 10 easy lessons as to how to swim? Hey, you need a savior. You need a lifeguard. One of the best Christmas gifts I got last uh, uh, December was my son was officially, uh, he officially became a lifeguard. I mean, it was a thrilling uh, moment, exhilaration. So at our Deeper Life Camp over the Labor Day weekend, he uh, uh, served as the uh, lifeguard. And I got into the water just to sit and watch him. Proud moment, you know. Uh, what a ministry, isn't it? Saving people from drowning. And the Lord Jesus did exactly that for us. You know, maybe some of you this morning need to pray, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. Please have mercy on me. Save me. You know, beloved, that's all it takes. That's all it takes for the Lord to make a divine invasion into your life. He is the Savior God. But then number four, he is the shepherd God. One of the most beautiful pictures uh, in the Old Testament for God is the picture of the shepherd. And even today, if you go to the uh, Mideastern countries, it's a very familiar sight to see a shepherd leading the sheep. And the Lord Jesus took that image and he applied it to himself. And he said, I am the good shepherd. Good there meaning noble, excellent. I am the excellent, noble, good shepherd. And uh, the good shepherd who gave his life for the sheep wavered sheep, foolish sheep. He gave his life for such sheep. But he's also the great shepherd, the shepherd who cares for the sheep, the shepherd who is interested in every little detail of your life. Isn't that amazing? He provides, he protects, he cares, he leads, he guides, he anoints your head with oil. 
and he spreads a banqueting table of grace before you every day. That's my shepherd, the good shepherd, the great shepherd. And the Bible also says he's the chief shepherd. And as the chief shepherd, he is going to return one day. And we all have to stand before him in judgment. Our life is going to be reviewed. And we are going to be rewarded accordingly. My favorite psalm, and I'm sure it's yours, Psalm 23.1. I mean, I have gone through that psalm hundreds of times. I have prayed that psalm verbatim for people. I love verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not lack anything. Beloved, this morning, if you let the Lord Jesus be your personal shepherd, he's going to take care of all the needs of your life. But he has got to become your personal shepherd, the shepherd God. But then number five, he is the sympathetic God. He is the sympathetic God. <laughs> what an amazing truth that the God of the Bible is the God of tears. The God of the Bible is the God of tears. The Lord Jesus stood at the graveside of one of his best friends and the Bible says he wept. The Lord Jesus wept over the wavered, rebellious, disobedient city of Jerusalem. And the Bible says that he is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. The Bible says that he knows our frame. He knows that we are creatures of dust. He feels our pain. He identifies with our sorrows. One of our all-time favorite hymns has got to be, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I mean, that's the hymn you would sing when you go for a funeral uh, visit. That's the hymn you would uh, sing when you go to a home that is in distress, isn't it? Listen to how uh, one of the stanzas uh, go. What a friend we have in Jesus, all our sins and griefs to bear. Can we find a friend so faithful who will all our sorrows share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. The Bible tells us concerning the sympathetic God, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. You know what that uh, is uh, communicating to us this morning? He is the God of the hurting. <laughs> he is the God of the hurting. When you uh, see yourself as a failure, he is right by your side to lift you up. That's my God. That's your God. The sympathetic God. But then number six, he is the servant God. The Bible tells us that even though he was God, he humbled himself, he became man, and he took the form of a servant. I mean, you can uh, go into every other religion. No other religion talks about a God who became a servant. We have all heard stories of uh, rags to riches. But folks, this is a story of riches to rags voluntary. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for our sakes he became poor, that we through his poverty might become rich. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, another great Christmas verse, reminding us that on that first Christmas, that God left heaven 
and he left eternity. He became a creature of time. He confined himself uh, to a human body and he lived among us as a servant. The Lord Jesus said that he didn't come to be served, but he came to serve. He came to wait upon his creatures. And on the eve of his death, uh, death what does he do? He takes a basin and he takes a, a towel and he goes and washes the dirty feet of his disciples. He is the stooping servant. To wash feet, you've got to stoop. He is the stooping God. Amazing. Staggering. And yet, how wonderfully true that that's our God. That's why, beloved, when you think of the Lord Jesus as the servant God, what a rebuke to our pride. What a rebuke to our lust for power, position, greatness, fame, and titles. And that's why daily we need to pray the prayer, Lord, teach me what it means to be a servant, to stoop, to serve. We are living in a hurting, needy world. There are people all around us who are waiting for servants like you and me to come and minister to them. One of uh, the Apostle Paul's uh, famous uh, introductory uh, comments concerning himself is what? I am a bond slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I am a slave by choice and I am a slave for life. I love my master so much, I don't want to go out free, I want to be his slave forever. Does that describe you this morning? That you are a slave, a bond slave of the Lord Jesus you're living for the purpose of serving and that you're bonded for life to be a servant. The servant God. And then that brings us to number seven. The Lord God Almighty. Who is this God? Number seven, he is the suffering God. He is the suffering God. You know, on one occasion I was talking to a very orthodox Hindu lady and as I was presenting the gospel to her, and as I spoke about the sufferings of the Lord Jesus, she looked at me and she said, how can God suffer? God is beyond suffering. That's a concept of Hinduism, that God is above suffering. <laughs> then when I said that this God died on a cross, she took both her hands and she put it to her ears and she said, how can God die? How can God suffer? How can God die? But that's the God of the Bible. In order to save you and to save me, miserable rebels, this God had to suffer and this God had to die. He was insulted, he was rejected, he was ridiculed, he was mocked, he was scourged, he was spat upon and he was ultimately crucified. He died a shameful humiliating death on a cruel Roman cross. He died as a common criminal between two thieves. And the Nicene Creed puts it so simply when it says, he suffered under Pontius Pilate. And the gospel records simply state, there they crucified him. Why? Why? In order to set you and me free. 
He died as our atoning sacrifice. He died as the divine substitute. No wonder the Apostle Paul said, the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. The self-giving God. The God of the Bible is the God of sacrifice. The God of the Bible is the suffering God. Number eight, he is the seeking God. He is the seeking God. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. The devil has come to kill and destroy. <laughs> what a contrast. The devil is here to kill and to destroy. You know, for the very first time in my life, I got a call from a lady. And she said, uh, would you be willing to go and uh, see a young man from your community who has got AIDS, the HIV virus. And uh, I hesitated. And uh, then I said, uh, okay, I'll go and see him. So uh, I put the phone down and I began to sweat because I thought of all the implications of going to see someone face to face having the HIV virus, dying of AIDS. So the next day I called this lady again and said, uh, forgive me for my ignorance, but uh, could you contact uh, the HIV virus uh, through the saliva? And she laughed on the other end of the phone and she said, no, you can't contact it that way. And she told me how it can be uh, 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 contracted. And I said, okay, I'm going to see this young man. You know, that was a defining moment for me when I went to see this young man, face to face, uh, dying of AIDS. And what a tragic story he told me. To exemplify the mission of the devil, who is out there to kill and to destroy. As a young guy, he wanted to be on a high. So he went to a certain part of the city where some uh, other young fellows uh, took over him and they began to inject him with all kinds of drugs. And he certainly went on a high. And two years later, they discovered that he had the, a, the HIV virus. The Lord Jesus came to seek and to save. The devil came to seek and to destroy. The Lord Jesus sought out a corrupt income tax official called Zacchaeus, who was uh, precariously perched on the limb of a tree. And he said, Zach, come on down. I'm going to have pizza with you today. And that became the life-changing moment for Zacchaeus. On another occasion, the Lord Jesus Christ met a defiled Samaritan woman and he gave her the gift of forgiveness. On another occasion, the Lord Jesus, the seeker of souls, met a radical ideologist by the name of Paul who was on a mission of hate and the Lord Jesus apprehended him and made him one of his team members. I love what Martha told Mary. The master has come and he is calling for you. And this morning, beloved, the master is here. The seeking God is here and he is uh, looking out at you and he is calling for you. And he calls for you by name. And uh, he calls so that he can come into a personal relationship with you. Uh, he's calling today and saying, my son, my daughter, give me 
your heart. And you know the amazing thing? He doesn't give up on anyone. He calls, and even if he is refused, he keeps going after that lost sinner. And that's the one reason why I keep going after guys in the prison. Right now I'm ministering to five guys who have all committed first-degree murder. And even though some of the high-ranking officials in that institution said, you're wasting your time, I said, no, my God doesn't give up on anyone, neither should I. And so, beloved, if you haven't responded to this wonderful God and Savior this morning as we wrap up, why don't you walk down the aisle and come to the front and uh, commit your life to this God? You will never be sorry. Your only regret would be, why didn't I do it earlier? In 1973, as a teenager, in the month of December, seated on a bench overlooking the Indian Ocean, my life in a mess, empty, lonely, I opened my uh, life to the Lord Jesus, and what amazing changes he wrought in my life. And beloved, I cannot conceive how anyone could live one day of their life apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. So tonight, put the mask down that you've been wearing for so long, pretending that you have everything right in your life. You know deep in your heart that's not the reality. And today, the seeker of souls is calling for you, the seeking God. And then number nine, amazingly, he is the sending God. He is the sending God. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. The Lord is looking for instruments. The Lord is wanting to use you and me as his mouthpiece, to be his hands and feet, to go into the highways and byways of life and to make a difference, to snatch souls from the very fires of hell. You know, my next door neighbor, a young fellow, lovely guy, has a fiancé, and uh, you know what the passion of her life is? The passion of her life is to save a certain snail, a sea snail, from extinction. That's what she dreams about. That is what she thinks about. She spends countless hours in the water diving to study the habits of this sea snail, wanting to save it from extinction spends enormous amounts of money, her money, because she doesn't want to see this creature die out and become extinct. Now, if someone can have passion like that for an insignificant little creature called the sea snail, beloved, shouldn't you and I have passion for souls made in the image of God who are on their way to a Christless eternity? The people that you work with in your office, the people in your community, in your neighborhood. And if Oshawa is evangelized, we would welcome you to the city of Toronto. I know you sweat when I mention Toronto. <laughs> but come and live. It's not as bad as you think it is. But tons of pagans, the whole landscape has changed. I mean, almost by the day you see a mosque coming up, a Hindu temple coming up, a Buddhist temple coming up. What an opportunity. If you drive by the limits, you'll make it in 30 minutes. If you speed up a little, which God will forgive, you'll make it in 20 minutes. <laughs> and the Lord wants to send you. He wants to use you. 
So what do you weep about? What keeps you awake at night? What makes you to sweat? <laughs> Is it because that the Blue Jays are losing badly? No. It should be because there are souls going to hell. The sending God. And number 10, he is the soon coming God and King. You know, as the canon of scripture closes, the last book of the Bible, Revelation 22, three times over, the Lord God Almighty, the Lord Jesus says, Behold, I come quickly. What does that mean? My coming is certain. My coming is sure. I'm going to come soon. I'm going to come suddenly at a time that you don't expect me to show up. <laughs> He's coming. He's on his way. He's coming to establish his kingdom here on earth. And when the curtain comes down, we are going to be judged and we are going to be rewarded. We are going to have a sense of shame and remorse and tears. And now is the time for course correction in your life and my life. The soon coming God and King. So we looked at the identity of the Lord God Almighty. And of course we have to finish with the invitation. So your third point is invitation. And what greater invitation can I refer you to than Matthew 11, 28 to 30? Listen to the words of invitation from the Lord Jesus. Come to me, all of you who are tired and have heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Accept my teachings and learn from me because I am gentle and humble in spirit and you will find rest for your souls. Now, beloved, you've got to understand this invitation in the context in which it was given. The Jewish people at that time were under the yoke of oppression. They were under the iron heel of Rome. So they were under the yoke of oppression they were under the yoke of legalism. The Pharisees came along and made life so miserable for the people. I mean, it was all rules, 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 more rules, sub-rules, by-rules, whatever you call it. Just living life by the rules. Legalism, yoke of legalism. And of course, they were looking, uh, living under the yoke of sin. Does that describe you this morning? The yoke of oppression, the yoke of legalism, the yoke of sin... Here is a wonderful invitation and look at the three components of the invitation. First of all, there is relationship. The Lord Jesus says, come to me, come to me. I want to have a personal, intimate relationship with you. I want to walk with you. I want you to be yoked with me so that we can walk together in the same direction, with the same destiny. The Lord is inviting you to a relationship. Isn't that beautiful that Christianity is not a religion, but it is a relationship. But the second component of this invitation, invitation to rest. <laughs> I know what some of you are thinking. Oh yeah, I would love to be in Florida and I would love to rest the rest of my life. No, no. This is not a Florida rest. This is rest from your labors. Rest from all those heavy loads that you are carrying. You can unload at the foot of the cross and you can enjoy the freedom that the Lord wants to give you. The peace that the Lord wants to give you. The empty life, the futile life that uh, you are living can be replaced by the fullness of his joy and the fullness of his presence. I love to quote this verse to the young people. We are, uh, in Psalm 1611 we are told, In 
his presence, his fullness of joy at his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Wow. So invitation to a relationship, invitation to rest. And are you ready for the third one? Invitation to radical discipleship. And this is where we falter and fail. Yes, we want the Lord Jesus to be our savior. Yes, we want to have an insurance policy from hell. But that's not the purpose and intention of the Lord. He wants you into a relationship so that you can become his radical disciple. I want to encourage you in the coming week to read Matthew chapters 5 to 7, the Sermon on the Mount. I strongly believe that every Christian should be reading those three chapters at least once every month. Very radical teachings. Who can live up to it? If someone hits you on one cheek, you put out the other cheek and say, sir, this one too. I mean, who does that? You've got to be crazy to do that. Someone hits you, you call the police, and the poor fellow gets locked up, and then you phone me and say, go visit him in prison. <laughs> I mean, in that day, a Roman soldier can ask you to carry his knapsack for one mile. Heavy duty knapsack for one mile. So you carry it kicking and screaming for one mile. <laughs> and when the one mile is up, you look at the Roman soldier and say, Sir, you are such a wonderful man, I want to carry it for another mile. And that poor Roman soldier is going to have a heart attack. That's Matthew chapters 5 to 7. And so the invitation is to live by kingdom principles. And so, as we wrap up this morning, these altars are open as we are going to sing a final hymn. Uh, we want to encourage you, if you have never turned your life over to the Lord Jesus, what a morning to do so. You are in a great atmosphere, uh, atmosphere where the word of God has been preached, where people are praying, where there are people who love and care for you. And we want to encourage you to step out of where you are and come to the front and to boldly, publicly, without shame, without fear, acknowledge the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord God Almighty and that you want him to be your savior. Any young person seated here who is not sure, we want to encourage you to step forward and to uh, uh, commit your life to Christ. Maybe some of you are saying, I've never known what discipleship is all about. I want to become a radical disciple of Christ. Maybe you too need to come to the front and the pastors are going to be here. We would love to pray with you. We would love to show you a verse or two just to encourage you in the next step that you should take. And so the altars are open. I'm going to pray. And uh, as the Spirit of God moves you, we want to encourage you to step out. He's the sending God. Maybe there is somebody here who is struggling. Yes, the Lord wants to send you somewhere. You're struggling. You're resisting. And maybe this is the morning that you need to submit and you need to say, Lord, I'm available. I'm willing, wherever, whenever, you need to come to the front so that we can pray with you too. Lord, we thank you. Lord Jesus, you're the Lord God Almighty. What an amazing God you are. Lord, we can't comprehend it. Our minds can't fathom it. But we can experience you, Lord. And this morning I pray, it will be a defining moment for someone here who has never trusted you for personal salvation. It would be a defining moment for a young person, for an older person, a middle-aged person, 
to, to step forward and say, yes, I want the Lord Jesus to be my personal Lord and Savior. And Lord, perhaps there is someone here who is saying, yes, I want to be a radical disciple of the Lord Jesus. I want to make a difference. I want my light to shine. I want my life to make an impact. And the Spirit of God is saying, come to the front so that you can make that uh, decision public. Or maybe, Lord, there is someone here to whom you have been uh, extending your call and they are resisting. And maybe this is the morning where they are going to step forward, break free of that restriction and limitation and say, Lord, I'm all yours. Whenever, wherever I'm willing, I'm available. So Holy Spirit, we invite you to take over. Uh, touch our lives and uh, move us and help us make decisions that will count for time and for eternity. Oh Lord, may this not just be another service where we have come, set, marked attendance and we go home and forget all about it. But may we be able to look back and say this was a service where you met with us personally, where you convicted us, where you challenged us, where you provoked us to take the next step in our pilgrimage here on earth. So Lord, take this weak message coming from faltering lips and use it for your glory. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.